I really appreciated how our uh, team of guys that led us in, uh, or are leading us in music this morning uh, came together and were really flexible to serve all of you because it was supposed to be just uh, Jeff and Daniel, the guys on the right, and, and I showed up early and Jeff's trying to sing and uh, he's got like a throat problem. Uh, he sounded like the Godfather. And it was not going to, it was just wasn't going to work. He's like, I can't sing. Um, I don't know how we're going to do this. And Daniel's like, I can't sing. Well, I don't know how we're going to do this. And then uh, Mike showed up just to drop something off, which is pretty funny. And uh, so they, he can sing. So let's have uh, Mike do it. So he was, he was gracious and willing to do that. So anyway, it was, thanks guys. Um, I know Curtis mentioned this, but just to mention it again, uh, we are going to take a break from uh, the Genesis series for the month of December. And so each of those four uh, Sundays beginning next week leading up to Christmas, uh, we're going to it's all going to be Advent. Um, so the sermon series will be focused on uh, it's actually going to correlate to the Advent booklets that we're selling. So if you pick up one of those and and go through it or go through it with your family uh, like the Saturday night before the Sunday, um, it's just going to get reinforced when we come here together as we work through it and make make uh, the, the Advent, the coming of Christ, a really um, a really big deal this next month. So we're looking forward to that. I'm sure you're looking forward to the break from Genesis. We are uh, 45 weeks in today. And if you look in the book of Genesis, we're not exactly close to being uh, close to being done. So it's going to. It's going to be a while. I can remember when we started it back at the beginning of this year, and I had hopes of finishing it before the year was done. So it didn't, it didn't work out that way, not even close. So uh, maybe we'll finish it in, in 2014. That would be good. Uh, maybe not. We'll see. Lord willing. Let's pray, and we'll get into Deuteronomy. Or, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and your truth. Uh, it, it is what changes us, and it is what sets us free. So thank you for giving us truth and, and helping many of us who've seen it, accepted it, believed it, for opening our eyes. Uh, there, were, there was a time, probably many of us can remember, when we, we did not believe your word, uh, when we did not accept your word, uh, where we uh, were tempted to change your word or to malign your word and you've been good to us God because what we felt like was uh, difficult or or hurtful has become the the best thing in the universe to us it's become the most helpful um, it's become the source of great joy and contentment all things we don't deserve but but things that as your people that we have because of you so thank you God for your word Thank you for your spirit to understand your word. And thank you for continuing to make us more and more like Jesus so that you would be glorified and, and we would be become more satisfied and more content and more filled with joy. So please, God, another step in your work today, in our hearts. Uh, take your word and, and pierce us and help us to examine ourselves and uh, be changed by you. That's our hope. That's our prayer. And we pray these things in the perfect name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 32, two sections. Um, most of your Bibles probably have this chapter divided into two sections. We're going to follow them like that. Verses 1 through 21 is Jacob preparing to meet his brother Esau. And then verses 22 through 32, a wild story. We will read the account of Jacob wrestling with God. That is not figurative. That is literal. He is literally going to wrestle with God. So let's get started back here in verses 1 and 2. Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Jacob's heading home. He is a couple days, maybe in, a few days into this 550 mile journey uh, to head back home. He left home 20 years ago 
And he left home for two reasons. One was to find a wife. So he went back to the, the home country of his, of his mom. So he went to find a wife. And he was also trying to get away from his brother. This was a sibling rivalry through the roof. Uh, Esau was very angry with his brother Jacob. Wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob decides that's a good time to leave. And uh, probably a good time to go find a wife. He was 70. So it was time to launch and uh, and see what God had for him. So he set out on that journey, and for 20 years, he's been working for his crooked father-in-law, Laban. It did not go well, but um, he got a great family out of this, and so he's headed back home, wants to introduce uh, the, the family to his parents. Right? They haven't met his kids yet. I want you to meet my kids. I want you to meet my wife, and then I want you to meet my other wife, and my other wife, and my other wife. Uh, four wives. Don't worry. We are going to talk about uh, polygamy in, in a few weeks because it's, 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 it's sort of rampant in the book of Genesis. So uh, we, will, we will have a biblical understanding of that. So here he is. He's on his way home. This is good. Um, it's looking up. He's got his family beside him. He's got uh, this past that was very difficult. Uh, he, he has his crooked father-in-law, Laban, behind him. And he's got his God before him. I mean, he is going home because God told him to go home. So he's obeying the word of God. He's being faithful. He finally confronted his father-in-law. He's, he's dealt with that. He's got his family. And here he sets out on this journey. And God is with him as demonstrated by the angels of God that he is given the sight to see and in, is encouraged. Uh, but before he reaches home, uh, we, have, we have chapter 32. Before he reaches home, he has a he has a couple couple obstacles. One he's surprised by, uh, but but the first obstacle is is one that he knows he needs to go through, and it's his brother Esau. He's got to deal with his brother Esau. Uh, remember, twenty years earlier, when he left, Esau was so angry with Jacob that he said he wanted to kill him. Jacob had deceived Esau and their dad Isaac. And Esau was so furious about it that Scripture tells us he comforted himself with the thought of murdering his brother. So wanted revenge, wanted payback. And so mom told her son, uh, get out of here. And he did. Uh, but now he's coming back 20 years later. And he's, he's got to get through this obstacle. But here's something interesting. Uh, I don't think... I'm not, a, I'm not a map expert. I'm not a geography expert. But as I understand the map and as I understand what the commentators have said, geographically, as Esau is heading back home, he does not have to go through Esau. Geographically, he doesn't have to go through Esau. But spiritually, he has to go through Esau. Right, he has unfinished business with his brother. Geo- geographically, he can actually go around. There's another way. He doesn't have to go through the land that his angry brother inhabits in order to get home. He can, he can take a longer route. In, in fact, he, he goes, one commentator thinks, Derek Kidder, he's going out of his way to actually pass through Esau. So it may not be as cowardly as we think. We have seen a change in Jacob as he's grown closer and closer to God. Spiritually speaking, he's got to deal with his brother. So I think though he's very fearful, he is taking this head on. Uh, it's like Matthew 5. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5 that, remember this verse, if you are at the altar and you bring your offering and there you remember that your brother has something against you, uh, leave your offering there and go first and be reconciled to your brother. And then you come back and offer your gift. What it was saying was this, is, but before you deal with God and before you um, come before God, deal with your your brother or your sister or this person in your life who has has an issue with you. Okay? And you need to try to work that out. Uh, then you can come back and you can worship. Right? Some of you came to worship today and you got a clear conscience. Some of you, you just heard that and you don't have a clear conscience anymore. And you're thinking, this isn't good. I've got, I have people who have things against me. I have things against others. And it, it shouldn't be like that. As far as it depends on you, Paul says, we want to live at peace with everyone. Sometimes you can't do anything about it. But not doing anything about it doesn't count. So we've got to try, right? So here he is. He wants to reconcile with his brother. They're going to be living next to each other. Um, it's not going to go well unless he, he takes care of this. So spiritually speaking, he does need to go through Esau. And then this is great. God comes and reassures him. And the way God reassures him is by sending these angels of God that met him on the way. You may think when you first read that, that that means there's like one angel, two angels, three angels. And that's great. That's encouraging. I'd be really encouraged if I saw three 
angels. And they said they're with me and for me and helping me. But actually, we know there were many more angels because of what Jacob names the place in response to the sight he's given to see the angels. God gives him sight to see that there is um, an amount of angels that is guarding him that is equal to the amount of people in his camp, which is probably hundreds of people. Because what Jacob does is after he sees the angels, he names the place two camps. That's what Mahanaim means. He names it two camps. In other words, and this is God's camp, he said. In other words, I thought we were here and here we are camping. And then God gave me sight to see right around the hills and the mountains and among us that there is an equal number of angels, right? Warriors who work for God that are going before us and with us that are here to protect us. So God's reassuring him. God is encouraging him. But, but Jacob is still afraid. He's still afraid. Jacob has been afraid of Esau forever. Right? Esau is the older brother that Jacob has never gotten along with. Esau is the older brother. There, there's been constant friction. And, and, and Jacob, we get the impression that Jacob knew. He always knew growing up that his big brother could take him. He knew his big brother could take him. He knew physically, I mean, he could outcook his brother. He, maybe he could outdo him in the kitchen. Like, I'll, I'll see you in the kitchen. <laughs> we'll see what you can do with these ingredients in, in 15 minutes. I mean, he maybe could outduel him there, but he knew that physically he wasn't much of a match for, uh, for big, big red, uh, hairy, uh, backwoods, hunting, outdoor armed Esau. Okay, so he's still, he's still worried. So that's what we read about in the verses to come. We read about preparations. Preparations that, uh, that Jacob is going to make. Uh, because he knows his brother Esau. I see those angels, but I don't know if you guys have seen my brother. He's a frightening guy. And remember what his mom told him when he left 20 years ago? Remember his mom told him, go and leave for a while and I'll send word to you when your brother doesn't want to kill you anymore. Has he received word from his mom? He has not received word from his mom. So as far as he knows, Esau still has a grudge and this isn't going to go well. So he's got preparations he's going to make. Four of them. Let's look at each of them. Verse 3 through 5. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. So this is pretty smart. In order to prepare, this is the first thing he does in preparation of meeting his angry brother Esau, he sends messengers to announce his advent to Esau. Um, I'm, I'm coming. I'm on my way. Before, I just want to surprise him. I don't want to throw Esau like a surprise party. I'm not going to jump out of a cake. I want him to know that this is, this is coming so that he can right, deal with this emotionally before he actually sees me. So he, he gives him a, a heads up. And what he tells his messengers to say is key. He has them approach his brother with a lot of respect. My Lord or my master. Okay, so there's going to be very respectful language that they're going to bring. And he has them bring a, a very specific message. They're to go and say, my Lord, okay, your brother is, is coming to meet you. And then what's the other information that he wants his brother to know? And he's loaded. Just thought you would want to know that. Your brother's on his way, and he's filthy rich. He's got a lot of money. A lot of animals, a lot of livestock. He is, is doing well. Okay, you see what's under that, right? So if you deal well with him, maybe there's something in it for you. Because we're going to see that's going to be a tactic that he's going to use. Okay, I've got a lot of money. I'm just saying, if you don't kill me, I may give you some. So he sends messengers out. Okay, your your rich, your rich, innocent brother, he is uh, he's on approach. Uh, number here's the second thing he does, verse seven. Uh, no, I'm sorry, back up. 
verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. You can picture this going down. The messengers come back. They're, they're not dead. Did you tell Esau what I told you to tell him? Yeah, we told him. What did he say? Not much. He actually didn't say anything. But he's coming to meet you. Oh, who's, who's with him? 400 men. 400 men. If you're Jacob, you're not thinking there's a welcome home banner in the camel. You're thinking there's a gun. It was like Laban who came out to meet him in a hurry. And in this day, if, you, if somebody was coming out to meet you and they were bringing 400 men, they were coming to do battle with you. Okay, he's remembering stories of his grandpa, right? And his 318 men and how they routed four kings. So he hears about his brother now. He knows he's coming. And he's coming to meet him with 400 men. And probably one of the biggest understatements Verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Okay, he, he, was, he was worried before. Now he, he needs, yeah. he was greatly afraid and distressed. The, the Bible, the original Hebrew can't say this uh, more emphatically than it does. He's, he's, he's worried. He's trembling. He's going to be trembling for the rest of the text. Uh, he's anxious. He doesn't think that this is going to go well for him and for his family, especially now that he hears confirmation that angry brother is on his way with 400 men. So he keeps preparing. Then Jacob, verse 7, was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So this is smart again. He, he divides his estate in, into two so that at least some of his family will be spared. Uh, we'll separate them and we'll send half of them forward. Hopefully it'll go well. But if it doesn't, uh, the, the second camp at least has time to retreat or get away or escape. So he's assuming that if Esau turns on him, He's trying to figure out ways to, to have a good plan in place so that he can deal with Esau well and still do what uh, God has called him to do. Now, one of the questions that comes up when, when we're reading this is, is this. Is Jacob being faithful or faithless? Okay. Is, is, he, is he being faithful or is he being a coward? Is, is he uh, just being wise or is he taking matters into his own hands? Because that's been a pattern in the Bible. And we, we see this happen today uh, where, where the line gets crossed and it's no longer uh, making a plan and being responsible. It's, it's not trusting God. And it's taking matters into our own hands. And sometimes it's blatantly sinful. Like when Sarah convinced her husband to sleep with her maidservant, Hagar. That was taking matters into her own hands. Well, God said we need to have a kid. We're not having a kid. Let's have a kid this way. But she did it by, by breaking God's law. So that was clearly taking matters into her own hands. But then there's other times where it may not be as clear. But it, it, is, it is that we're not trusting God. And we're not resting in God and we're setting him aside and we're taking matters into our own hands and we're striving and struggling to accomplish God's will and he's not really a part of it. And so is Jacob doing that or not? When he makes these preparations, is he being faithless? Is he being a coward? Listen, God said he was going to he's told you to go home. He's going to get you home. Just trust him. Or is he being wise in, in making all of these preparations? And it's, a, it's an important question for us to ask ourselves too. I mean, how do I figure this out in my own life? At what point do I sinfully... Have you ever thought about that? At what point do I sinfully cross the line and take matters into my own hands? Right? At what point am I doing that? 
probably the simplest way to, to figure that out is, at what point do I stop trusting God? I mean, it requires some self-examination. We've got to be careful how we judge Jacob here. It may not be all that clear. But it requires us to evaluate our own heart. Hey, am I, am I no longer trusting in God? If the, if, the, if the effort that you're making in life, and we should be making effort, right? Taking responsibility. Be busy doing good things. But it, at what point is the effort in my life, is it because I don't trust God? Because I don't trust Him. I'm doing this because I think that if I don't do this, it's not going to go well. I'm doing this because if I don't do this, no one will. I'm doing this because if I don't do this, God's will is not going to be accomplished. I'm doing this because God needs me to do this. I mean, these are the kinds of things and, that we think and the, uh, when we're not trusting God. I think Jacob is trusting God. The reason I think he's trusting God is what we see he, what he does next in verses 9 through 12. What we see in Jacob is, is planning and praying. Planning and praying. Planning and praying. It's not all plan. And it's not all prayer. Those are, those are both extremes you want to avoid. Right? The horse, Proverbs 21.31, the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. That's planning and praying. So it's okay. It's not the victory belongs to the Lord, and so... We're going to go out to battle with unarmed, untrained, with no strategy. Let, let go, let God. God said He provide the victory belongs to the Lord. So we're going to go out and we'll just throw sticks at them, and we'll just when they start charging us, we'll just start praying. No, the horse is made ready for battle, so you prepare and you plan. Derek Kidner said that Scripture approves of strategy when it is a tool and not a substitute for God. Jacob's prayers show where his confidence lay. So we plan and we pray. We plan and we pray. The horse is made ready for battle. And then we trust that the victory belongs to the Lord. God's will be done. The Lord's will be done. And if there is victory, it's not going to be just because we got the horse made ready for battle. It's because he brought the victory. But the praying doesn't negate the planning and the planning doesn't negate the praying. So we don't just plan and get into this, it's all about me, and if I don't do this, no one will, and I'm everyone's Savior, and I can fix this, and, and I'm the one who needs to step up, and if I don't, the whole world's going to come crashing down, and I've got to resolve this, and then there's no prayer, there's no trusting, there's no depending on God. And at the same point, we're not just the person over here that says, well, you know what, I don't lock my doors at night, I pray. I don't wear, I, I've known people like this. I don't wear a seatbelt. I pray. You, you can do both. You, God can be honored by both. You can wear a seatbelt and you can pray. Not just, well, if I trust God, I'm not going to do anything. No. No. Make a plan. Make a plan. Prepare. Get ready. Prepare for the worst. And then trust the Lord. Make your plan and then God will, what does he do? He directs our steps. You see this in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 8, God comes to Joshua and God tells him, you're going, the victory belongs to me. You're going to take this city of Ai. You're going to take this city. And so Joshua doesn't, but, but then, and then Joshua takes the city through a strategic ambush. You see how they're both there planning and praying. He trusts the Lord, but he makes a plan. I trust that God's going to do this, and I trust He's going to use my plan to get there. He didn't just, you know, walk in singing worship songs into the city and expect fire to rain down on His enemy. God could have done that, but He didn't do that. He made a plan. Or in Nehemiah chapter 4, here is Nehemiah. He came back. He's building the, the wall around uh, Jerusalem as God told him to do. And God told him that He was going to be successful. God was with him. God was guiding him. And what do you see that the people did? In Nehemiah chapter 4, the people prayed to God for protection because there was so much opposition to the work that they were doing. And so they prayed, God, protect us. And then you know what they did? They put guards in the towers for protection. See, it, it, so it's both. 
It's planning, it's praying, it's planning, it's praying. And one doesn't negate the other. So what does Jacob now do in verses 9 through 12? He prays. And man, does he pray. This is an exemplary, an exemplary prayer. We have been watching, uh, I mean, the humility in this prayer, the understanding of God's character in this prayer. Uh, it's, it's great. It's a great example to us. Now, Jacob has not always prayed this way. Right, one of the great things about Jacob, there's so much scripture that's devoted to him that we get to watch him mature in Christ. We get to watch him grow up in grace. And it gives us hope. <laughs> it gives us hope because we've seen his, his dips and we've seen his dives and, his, and we've seen him up high and we, we've seen his life and how erratic it's been at times and how there wasn't a lot of fruit. And we can, many of us can relate to that. And then we see that God is faithful and continuing to work through Jacob. The first time Jacob prayed, it, it wasn't, not to be overly critical, but it was a really immature prayer. You remember it was like it had conditions in it? Like if you pray and you ask God to do things, and, and, and then you tell him that you'll do things if, if, if he does certain things, that is, that is not a good way to pray. Like bartering with God, making deals with God. Like there's something that we can offer God. Well, let me see what you got. All right? What can you give me? I'll consider this, but you better. Okay, that's cool. I don't, I don't have one of those. <laughs> but he's matured a lot to the point where I think he got over his cowardice when he confronted his crooked father-in-law in the last chapter. And now he comes before God and he prays and he has matured in his prayer. One of the great things if you have kids is, is watching them mature in their prayer life. I mean, you've probably been around kids long enough to know that at every at every eight, the prayers sound a little different. You know, one of the cutest things right now is my son, Blaze, four years old, and, and he's, he has this desire, very recent, that he wants to pray out loud. And, he want, and when we're sitting down for the meal, he wants to pray. And I've watched that with each of my boys at different times. They kind of have the confidence to where they, 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 want, to, they want to talk to God uh, with everybody. And sometimes it's really funny what comes out of their mouths. I mean, very honest and, and very true. And so it's very interesting. We're trying to shape it a bit, but Blaze is like a word of faith. He's like this little Pentecostal. He's like, name it and claim it. He blabs it and grabs it. And so he asks God to do things, but when he asks God to do things, he says it as if it's already happened. He's like, he's like thank, he'll pray for his brother Jackson to do well in school today in the morning. And he'll say, thank you, Lord, that Jackson does well in school today. He's just like naming it and claiming it, right? Like he's got the faith. I'm not even going to ask you to do it. Thank you as if it's already done. I know you've provided. I know you will do this. I've got the faith. Answer me, Lord. And so he, he prays like this. Thank you, God. That, and, and over and over and over. It's really sweet. And you watch as the, 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 the prayers of kids goes from being, you know, prayers that start off with just very little information early on. Um, God loves me and he likes to listen to me. Okay, and, and then as it increases in their, their understanding of, of God's character and who he is and, and what he does and, and how we pray, and you watch this sort of maturity. Well, the same thing is happening with Jacob. The same thing is happening with Jacob. And we see, we see him get to the point where he's praying this prayer that uh, is, a, is, a, is a good example to us. Jacob said, there's five things here in, in this prayer. Number one, First, he says, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. So we don't want to overlook this, but it's very important who you pray to. It's very important who you pray to. And so he is praying to the one true God. And not only that, he acknowledges this God's faithfulness by saying, you're the God of my dad and the God of my grandpa. You're the God who has been faithfully working in my family for generations. That's, that's the number I'm dialing Amen. right now. The one true God. He's not just, a lot of people pray, they just start throwing things out there and just whoever will pick up. Just being spiritual and just don't know who God is, what He is, He, she, just going to, one, many, and just going to be talk to God and to be spiritual with, with no idea and no identifying who it is that you're actually calling out to. So we shouldn't overlook that. He makes it very clear that he is calling out to the one true God and he acknowledges his faithfulness. And then verse 
the second part of verse nine. O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. It's going to happen a couple times. As as Jacob is praying and talking to God, he's going to repeat back to God God's words to him. Hey, God, God loves to hear his word spoken back to him. Okay, God loves to hear that we're holding on to his word, that we believe his word, that we're trusting his word. And so here, Jacob's, he's recalling God's command to him. Now, in this day, God came to Jacob and, and literally and verbally spoke to him and gave him his command. Because Jacob didn't have God's written word as we have it today. But we also have God's commands. We also have God's words. And we also come to God and say, okay, I'm here in your word. You've commanded me to do this. You've called me to do this. And and I need help doing it. That's exactly what Jacob's going to do. So he starts and begins prayer. He acknowledges God. And then he uses God's word. He's, he's, He's thinking about God's word. He is, as we would today, he is reading God's word. And this is a part of his prayer life. The application for us today is that prayer and the reading of God's word go hand in hand. Prayer and the reading of God's word go hand in hand. You can think of it as simply as prayer being your words to God and reading the Bible as God's words to you. Praying is you speaking to God. Reading the Bible is God speaking to you. Now, many people foolishly just put this Bible down and they speak to God and then they wait for God to speak back to them and they hear nothing. And it's because God has spoken to them and God's given them his word. It's like, why don't you pick it up? Why don't you read my word and hear what I have to say and meditate on what I have to say? And what you find is that that's what leads to an actual prayer life. And that's what leads to actually having something to pray about is you're reading God's word and you're praying. And if we're not doing both of them together, it's just a one way conversation. And one way conversations, they are really boring. Often, if somebody comes and says, I'm really struggling in my prayer life, they're almost always struggling with reading God's word. How much are you reading God's Word? Well, I'm not reading God's Word. I thought I'd get the prayer thing down first and then I'd move on to that. You you should do them both at the same time. Otherwise, it's going to be stagnant. It's not going to be vibrant. It is going to be boring. Have you ever had a one-sided conversation with a person? You can hold out for so long, right? But then it's, it's super annoying. Is it? It's okay, right? And boring. And boring. Like, I asked this person a question, and they've been monologuing for 20 minutes. Like, this is not, I'm not going to pray again. I'm not going to do this again. This is not, this is not helpful. This is, this is, this is boring. And so if you're just, if you're just talking to God, that is not actually rich prayer life. Okay, prayer is meant to be communion with God. And in order for that to happen, you need to not only have God hear from you, but we need to hear from God. And the way we hear from God is by reading his word. So we read and we pray. We read and we pray. We read and we pray. I get up early in the morning to have time just with the Lord. And I, I'm one of those people. I can't just, if I start praying, I just fall asleep. Or I get drowsy. Uh, my head starts bobbing. I can't just get up at five in the morning and get a cup of coffee and walk out to my office and start praying. It doesn't it doesn't go well if I if I do that. My mind starts wandering. My eyes get heavy and it takes me like an hour before I'm really awake. But what I need to do is read God's word first. Before I talk to you, I want to hear from you, God. And then what you'll find is that some of you may just read the Bible way too fast. Just read it too fast. I've got to get through my four chapters today. Check, 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 check. Okay, I'm on course to finish it by this time next year. Oh, I missed a day. That's like eight chapters today. I got to get through it. I got to get through it. You people who have your task list, right? Like me, you love those. You just thrive on those. Like, oh, I got my Bible reading plan. That's like gospel right there. Don't mess with my Bible reading plan. Don't touch that. You don't do it. Are you even a Christian? 
Are you even a Christian? How can you call yourself a Christian and not have a Bible reading plan? And it's not chronological away, away from me, you evildoer. That's how we think, right? You see, slow down. Just slow down. I mean, I just read until something hits me. And usually it's a couple verses. If you're reading God's word, you're going to pray. Because you're going to read something and you're going to have to confess sin. I cannot get more than a few verses deep. "Ah." I mean, if you're really reading it, right? It's not just like I've got to get 500 words in me, but I want to to hear from God. You get a few verses in, it's like, I've got to stop. I need to confess. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Or read something else, and and it prompts you to praise Him and thank Him because you're connecting it to things in your life. Or uh, something he calls you to do. And it's going to be really difficult to do that. And our temptation is to read those really fast. Like, oh, I must have misread that. I'm sure there's a commentary that's out there somewhere. That's, that's not what the Greek says. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> It'd be way more encouraging than that. And we just read those fast. But instead, we have to stop sometimes and, and pray for help. Because, I don't, Lord, I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to do this. That is difficult. That is hard. Uh, it, it seems foolish to me. I just, I don't want to do it. What are you going to have to, what are you gonna have to do? You have to stop. You have to pray and ask God for help. Okay, so it's reading, it's praying, it's reading, it's praying. And so that's what he does. Twice he's going to do that. He, he's recalling God's word and he's hanging on to God's word. Now, verse 10. Um, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. The third thing he does is he acknowledges his unworthiness. He acknowledges his unworthiness. Right? We need, we need, uh, sermons and and songs and bible studies and churches and books that help us to acknowledge our unworthiness because everything else in our culture acknowledges our so-called worthiness all right we need good friends that will help us and remind us that we're not worthy of much that we're valuable because god loves us god doesn't love us because we're valuable it's different it's different so he acknowledges his unworthiness. He says, okay, Lord, I've... I mean, has he asked God for anything in this prayer? He has not asked God for anything in this prayer. He's not even there yet. He's praising God. He's thanking God. He's remembering God's word. And then he acknowledges how unworthy he is. So basically what he's saying is he's going to ask God to help him, as we should do. But before he even gets here, he's like, God, listen. I mean, the humility is thick with him right now because he's like, I... Part of me has a hard time even asking you to help me here, God, and to do this, God, because you've already done so much for me that I don't deserve. And that's how you want to feel when you're asking God for things. Not that you don't ask Him. You should ask Him. Philippians 4, um, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition present how many of your requests to God? All your requests to God. So it's good to acknowledge that God is faithful and loves us and wants to grant the desires of our heart and He's able and capable and willing. So we share it all with Him. But it should come with this attitude that's like, but God, I'm so, I've been so blessed by You already. You've given me so much that I am not worthy for You to even listen to this prayer, let alone. So that's why every prayer ends with, Your will be done. That's why every prayer is, God, I'm asking for this. I'm begging for this. I'm naming it. I'm claiming it. Whatever. Oh, God, I want you to do this really, really bad. But, but God, you've done enough already. You've done enough already. And this is his attitude. He says, when I came here, I, all I had was a staff. And now, now look at everything that I have. A staff. A stick. You don't know anybody that poor. You know homeless people that are wealthier than that. He says, all I had was a stick. I didn't have two sticks, just one stick. Sticks are free. My boys find a stick every day in our yard. (laughs) That's all that I had. He's saying that to God. I had a stick. I was the man with a stick. And now I've got all of this. And it's all because of you, God. So he he knows that he's he's not worthy. But then 
with humility, he asks for protection. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Okay, he, he, he's, he is strong. God's going to make him stronger here in just a few verses. But this is certainly not a, a sign of weakness for him to bring his fears before God. What are you afraid of? I mean, you all have things you're afraid of. You all have things you're fearful of. You all have, uh, have things that weigh on your mind. He's honest with God. God, I'm I am fearful of my brother. I don't know what I don't know what he's going to do to my family. And what's his primary concern? His children and the mothers of his children. That's his primary concern. Okay, Esau, whatever he does to me, whatever. But I'm afraid of what's going to happen with my family. And so it calls him to cry out to God and to ask for protection. And then how does he end his prayer? He recalls again God's word. But, right, so he asks God to do what he's going to do. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Okay, if you're despairing and you're discouraging and you're fearful and you're praying, you might want to end your prayer remembering a promise of God. That would be a good way to sign out of that prayer. And that's what he does. He doesn't end with, God, please do this, right? Just paralyze Esau, do something, strike him with lightning, protect me, I'm freaking out, I'm worried. He doesn't end his prayer with that, though I have lots of prayers end like that. His prayer ends with, but God, I remember, I remember your promise. Okay, the, only, the only difference that we have is we've got hundreds of them as opposed, as opposed to his promise. Hundreds of them. Again, we just open up God's word and we just read about what God promises to do for his adopted sons and daughters. And we hold on to them and we hold on to them in our prayer life. So this is good. This is this is rich, rich prayer from from Jacob. And then finally, his last preparation, verse 13 through 21. So he stayed there that night and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Hey, that is smart again. You're worried how someone is going to react? You may want to give him a present. Give him a gift. And then what is he going to do? He's going to send the gift out in front of him. So he's not going to bring the gift. right? He's going to send three crews of people to just walk walk by Esau. Tell him what he's won. And they're going to keep giving him uh, over like 600 animals he's going to give them. It's like, hey, Esau. And then these three crews, here's a new truck. Here's a new truck. Here's some uh, NASCAR tickets. Here's a lotion basket. Here's some hair trimmers and some sunscreen. You could use that. And uh, and here's a sportsman's warehouse gift card. A new gun rack. And do that. So they, and they keep bringing it by. And you're going to see it's in three droves of people. And so they come and say, here, here's your new plasma screen television. And by the way, uh, Jacob is, he's going to be coming in a little while. And then those guys move on, and Esau's like, this is really nice. I really appreciate this. And another crew comes. He's looking for Jacob. No Jacob, but more merchandise. Here you go. We got more goodies for you. My Lord, my Master, just thought you could use a little something extra. Merry Christmas. Where's Jacob? Oh, he's coming. He's still back there a little bit. All right, next group comes. Where's Jacob? Oh, well, here's another gift. Here's another couple hundred goats. Saw you're short on goats. Here's some more goats. And by the way, Jacob's coming a little ways behind me. And Jacob's back with the binoculars, right? Watching this all play out. He's pretty shrewd. Pretty smart. Verse 20. You shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. Which brings us now to the literal wrestling match between Jacob and God. Verse 22, the same night, 
he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. So here's Jacob behind the droves of gift bearers. He he sends his family across the river, have a good night's sleep, and he stays behind. He stays behind to think, to pray, uh, to prepare for this this next day that we know that we know has him filled with fear. So here he is. He's all by himself, all alone, in in complete darkness, preparing for what he thinks is going to be a very difficult day the next day, probably a bit jumpy. And the second part of verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So while Jacob is thinking and praying, he gets attacked by a man. They get in a fight, right, a wrestling, a, a struggle that lasts the entire night. That's a, that's a long fight. How old's Jacob? 97. This is not a fair fight. God versus 97-year-old Jacob. We can be pretty proud of Jacob, though. He's going to hold his own. And he's going to endure this wrestling the entire night. So as we see it at first, when, when, when Jacob gets uh, attacked by this, he doesn't know that this is God. He doesn't know this is God. In fact, Jacob's a guy who's known that there have always been a lot of people who would like to beat him up. He's always struggled with people. He doesn't know if this is someone his dad is sending. He doesn't know if this is Laban. Maybe this is Laban who is caught up to him and is breaking the the, the covenant that they have to take him on. He may think it's Esau. He already thinks that Esau is out to get him. Maybe it's Esau that is attacking him in the middle of the night. But as we... As we read through the text, right, we get these signs and he gets these signs that maybe, maybe this isn't just a mere man. Maybe this is God until we get to verse 30. And he said, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. So he's fighting with this man at one point. The man pulls this move on him where he touches his hip and dislocates his leg. Which is a tough thing to do. Later, the man is going to rename him. Later, the man is going to bless him. So he figures it out that this isn't just a mere man. This is God till verse 30 when he names the place. He says, I have seen God face to face. We come to the conclusion as well when we read through it that Jacob literally wrestles with God. Okay, this is a a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. It's Jesus. This is the Son of God, pre-incarnate, before the incarnation, when He came as Jesus, Son of Mary. Now here he is taking on human form to get in a fight with Jacob. Jacob is jumped by Jesus. I wish I so wish there were more details given. Don't some of you aren't you curious? Don't you want like a more play by play of how this went down? I mean, what moves did Jesus use? Don't you want to know that? What was appropriate? What wasn't appropriate? What was, how did, did Jesus kick him? Did he knee him? Did he know how to drop him? I mean, what, what kinds of things were taking place between Jesus and Jacob? He, he wrestles with him. Jacob had just prayed and said, said, God, come and help me. Come and help me. And God comes and picks a fight with him. That's God coming and helping him and wrestling with him and fighting with him all night. So here's what's, here's what's happening. What, 
What is this wrestling match between Jacob and God? God is coming down and he is making Jacob a man. This is what God is doing. It's like the final lesson here. Okay, Jacob, I've called you to something. It's going to be difficult. And it's going to require you to be a, a man. It's going to require you to be strong. It's going to require you to be tough. And so I'm going to come and toughen you up. In person. It's like his final lesson of, of, uh, about cowardice and fortitude. He's going to struggle with him the entire night. Jacob is alone and he's trembling, fearful of the next day. Now, see, Jesus does not, and Jesus does not do what we might think that he would do. Jesus does not come and rub his back. A lot of people would think that's what, that's what my Jesus would do. He'd come and whisper softly and sing songs into my ear and... This is not what he does. He jumps him. He doesn't come and rub his back. Hey, Jacob, listen, I know you've you got a big day ahead of you tomorrow. Let's work, let's work these knots out. <laughs> Jacob, just don't, don't forget the power of the human spirit, Jacob. Don't forget what your potential is. Tomorrow, I want you to actualize it. I want you to see it right now. I mean, Jesus does not do that, right? There's no pep talks. Right? Jesus does, he never says what you think that he would say. When he comes and encourages people in the New Testament in person, you're like, I would not find that very encouraging. When he goes to evangelize people, you're like, that is not going to work, Jesus. You cannot evangelize people that way. You cannot tell them that the Christian life is going to be that hard and difficult. You're not going to sell anyone on this. And yet that's how he evangelizes. And here he does something unexpected again. He doesn't come and comfort Jacob. He doesn't come and encourage Jacob. He doesn't come and, and tell him to pull himself up by his bootstraps and you can do it and you've got the power within. You just need to tap into it. Look at what a great guy you are. Look at the possibilities. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. He does not do that with Jacob. He jumps him. And he struggles with him and he wrestles with him and he fights him all night long. Paul said to the Corinthians, the men in Corinth who who had a big charge ahead of them from Paul, he said in verse 13 of chapter 16 to the men, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Those are good words for men who he knew had a lot ahead of them. Jacob's got a lot ahead of him. Paul said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And the way this works is that, is that we see this throughout the Bible, we see it in our own lives, is that, that men are made and men are forged through conflict and hardship. I mean, that's how men become godly men, through, through difficulty. Godly men are not made by everything going the way they want it to go. That is not what makes strong godly men. What makes strong godly men? Conflict? Difficulty? Hardship? Pain? Suffering? I mean, let's step, step back. What, what makes godly Christians? Struggle? Conflict? Hardship? difficulty it gives us insight doesn't it into why when god saves us doesn't he just hit the switch and everything goes the way we want it to go forever well because he loves you because he loves you that's probably the worst thing he could do for you probably the worst thing he could do for us doesn't make us stronger it makes us weaker that's an illusion, right? If I just had this one thing, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be content. If this would just go my way, then I'd be good to go. If, it just, if I was successful as that person, then it'd be great. If everything I touched turned to gold, then it would be great. If money was coming out of my ears, if, if I was healthy, if this relationship was restored, and we have this idea that if all these things were in place and everything went well, then we'd really love God the way we're supposed to love Him. We'd really worship Him the way we're supposed to worship Him. We'd be more joyful. We'd be more content. And God just speaks loud and clear that sons, daughters, that's not true. That's not true. And I do love you. 
And because I love you, I'm going to forge you into a godly man, a godly woman, and I'm going to do it through hardship. And this is exactly what he does with Jacob. He'd been doing it his whole life. Put Isaac in his life, put Esau in his life, put Laban into his life. All of these men put into Jacob's life because he loved Jacob. And now there was one more person Jacob had to deal with. God, face to face. And God comes and wrestles with him. So he's wrestling with him, not as an enemy, but as a father. This is not Jacob wrestling with an enemy, though he saw that at first. It's Jacob wrestling with a father. I tell you what, I really connected this to wrestling with my own boys. I have four boys and we wrestle all the time. And, and, and when, I, when I wrestle them, it's to, it's to have fun. And, it's, and there's training involved in wrestling them. I'm, I'm training them. I'm teaching them. You can do this and you're capable and you're strong and and you can you can handle this and you can do this and you can be courageous and as we do but it's not punishment it's not punishment it's not like we're going to go to blows you know with my kids i can't believe you did that i'll see you in your room in 10 minutes or i'll meet you on the front lawn we're going to have it out right now and we're going to we're going to wrestle and we're going to fight and see who comes out on the other end that's not that is what do I do? I get down on their level. What does Jesus have to do? He's got to get down on his level. I get down on their level. Now, I let them hit me as hard as they can, but I do not hit them as hard as they can. I mean, they think that I do. They think that I do, and they tell me I'm a wimp, and I can't, that's as strong as I can hit. But I'm careful with them, right? I give them a little bit. I make them cry, uncle, but I'm not trying to hurt them, right? I'm not trying to hurt them. I'm trying to train them, so I'll match their strength. Right, I'm matching their strength, so it, which is getting more and more, by the way. It used to be where I could, I, I'm, I would be concerned if all four of them jumped me at the same time. <laughs> but unless I've got appropriate gear on, they would know how to take care of dad. So well, one-on-one, I can still handle it. So uh, I, I match their strength, and, and, and then whenever, whenever I want the fight to be over, right, I touch their hip. Right? I, know, I know the spot. Right in the shoulder blade, right at the spot behind their neck, the shoulders, nowhere to, I know to, you get their hand maybe, and say, okay, well done, okay, uncle, all right. And we hug, it's good fun. This is what God does with Jacob. This is what God does with Jacob. Hey, this wasn't Jacob taking God. Like, wow, he's really, he's wrestling him all night. He's really hanging in there. This is God matching his strength. And then finally, when God wants to, just pop. Pop, just touch your hip right now. Jacob's going to have a limp the rest of his life just because God touched his hip in a certain way. So what is God doing? God is training up Jacob. We struggle with God. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this. And, and, and our struggling and our wrestling with God is not the same as, 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 as this event in the life of Jacob where he wrestled with God. But it is true that we wrestle with God. Okay? We struggle with God. God initiates this struggle. God is the one who comes and picks the fight, if you will, with Jacob. God is the one who comes and, and, and grabs hold of, of, of Jacob and begins this struggle. And God, as well, grabs hold of us figuratively. And God wrestles with us. And God brings difficulty into our life. And God brings obstacles into our life. And we wrestle with God. We struggle with God. Struggle with truth. Struggle with His words. Struggle with His providence. Struggle with people. Struggle with church. Struggle with all kinds of struggles, right? And we're wrestling with God often. What you see is that God... God told Jacob, Jacob, I want you to go across this river and I want you to go home. And then we see here that it is God who keeps him from doing what God called him to do for a night. You see that God called him and said, I want you to go home. And then God becomes an obstacle 
to him going home. God calls Jacob to do something that Jacob can't do. He can't get through God. He can't overcome God. God stands in his way. God is an obstacle. Jacob needs to be saved from who? From God. He needs to be freed from who? He needs to be freed from God. God does this in your life as well. God calls you to do things, doesn't He? And then God will bring circumstances and providence into your life and you will think to yourself, I cannot do what God has called me to do. And it will be like, God, are you for me or are you against me? Because it feels like you're against me right now. I know you're Lord over everything and you've brought these really difficult trials in my life. How am I supposed to obey you and honor you? And so there, there is this way that sometimes the way God is for you is by being against you circumstantially. That's why Job says in Job chapter 13, even if God slay me, I will trust in him. So God's called me to live for his glory and his honor. But even if he were to kill me, I'll still trust in him. Deuteronomy 32, God says, I wound and I heal. Okay, I bring pain for your good. I bring suffering for your good. I bring healing. I bring rescue and sweet reconciliation and restoration. And I'll uphold you and I'll love you and I'll be there for you. But very often God, through circumstances, His hand is behind the obstacles that are before us as we seek to honor Him. This is a struggle with God. It is wrestling with God. God, help me, help me, help me. God, what are you doing? Help me, help me. I want to trust you. I want to love you. I want to hold to you. But it doesn't, friends, right? It does. This does not come easy. Not unless you're just blind. Not unless you're just blind and you're just numbing yourself with whatever. There's way too much sorrow in here and sorrow out there and sorrow around here. There is just way too much difficulty and pain and suffering within and without and in this world. Your sin, your sin against others, others sin against you. There's just way too much of that to just roll on through the Christian life without struggle. It's a struggle. It's wrestling. Here's the cool thing. We leave this struggling with God the same way that Jacob left. Jacob emerges from this wrestling with God, blessed and broken. That's a Christian. Amen. <laughs> that is a Christian. Someone may have left out the broken part when they had you say the prayer, but they should have mentioned the broken part. You want to be blessed, 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 and broken. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Maybe broken. I don't know. That's it. The Christian life is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. A Christian is blessed and broken. Blessed and broken. Right? He gives, he gives Jacob a new name. He blesses him and he gives him a limp. You're welcome. He sends him out. Spends the night with God. I've got a limp. You dislocated my stinking leg. I cannot walk. I was already bad. I was in a wheel. 97 wheeling around. Now I've got a limp. This is terrible. He's got another 50 years. God has a lot he's still going to do with him. He needs him to be strong. So he sends him out broken with a reminder of his dependence on God. Reminder of his dependence on God. You're broken. But we're blessed. God blesses us as his children. And he also graciously, as he did with Jacob, He gives us reminders of our weakness, which makes us, should make us desperately depend on him. So we have this great final picture, verse 31 and 32. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So see that verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. So what is the, the last image 
in this story is Jacob. The sun comes up. The sun comes up. And Jacob is limping on his way to meet his brother Esau. Physically, worse off than before. Physically, worse off than before. Spiritually, ready. Ready. Though he slay me, I will trust in God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and truth. Thank you for the example we have in Jacob. And thank you for his acknowledgement that any good in him was because of your good to him. So God, we ask you be good to us like you were to Jacob. We would also say that we don't deserve it. We're not, we're not worthy of it, God. But we have these promises to hold on to. So God, without a sense of entitlement, we thank you for the fulfilling of your promises. We thank you for all that you've already done and all that you've promised to do. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to love you as we ought, to seek you as we ought, to worship you as we ought, not the way we want to, but the way you call us to. Not to obey you partially, but to obey you fully. God, not to have treasures in this world, but to have you as our only treasure. That everything else would pale in comparison to our great gift of you. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen.